We're starting a new sermon series this week. Um, calling it Spiritual Warfare. Good follow-up to our series on the Holy Spirit. But it's a... Spiritual warfare is this helpful term that Christians throughout the ages have, especially pastors, have used to help describe the struggle that every single Christian faces, uh, that, that the ordinary Christian life includes struggle, includes warfare, includes battle, because we, we're up against enemies, we're in a, in a hostile environment, and it's really easy to forget that. Right, so the, the traditional enemies of, of our faith are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, right? We live in a world that doesn't care about the gospel or Jesus. Uh, we are up against our flesh. Our own desires participate and, and rebel against us, as we prayed this morning. And then we're up against the evil one, uh, the, the devil, who at times feels like he can lead us around uh, like, like a fisherman right? baiting a hook. And so my goal this morning and, and for this brief series is to see that, that spiritual warfare is this ordinary, normal part of the Christian life uh, and that we are equipped for the battle. We're actually sent into the war zone, as we'll see when we get to Ephesians 6. So this morning what I want to do is let's get a glimpse at how Jesus sees our predicament, how Jesus sees the world we live in uh, by looking at Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 30. And so let's read this and pray. This is the word of our God. Then Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that you are guarding us through our faith in Jesus and that though we feel weak at times in the presence of our suffering, when we're assailed by temptation, just living in a world that goes not well, and yet in Christ we're given strength. And so I pray this morning that as we See, Jesus, you would help us stand firm in every spiritual battle we face, that we might rejoice in our salvation and be equipped to trust you and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I am hearing myself twice. There we go. <laughs> it's going to drive me nuts for the whole time. Okay. So, spiritual warfare. Actually, I want to start by reading this week's uh, reflection by David Pallison, which um, he, he has a great perspective on this. It's in a little book called Safe and Sound, Standing Firm in the Spiritual Battles, um, where it's, it's not sensational. We'll put it that way, um, where he's looking for demons in every corner. He's showing how the New Testament is very real about the, the battles we face. But he, he writes, you are in a battle, and every person is living in a fog of war, stalked by a deadly predator and facing a master of deception. When our hearts deceive us and our cultures misleads us, Satan's desires and purposes are at work. How does that strike you? And so that's, that's the question. How does that strike you? Right? We're going to talk about Satan this morning. And I know for most modern people, and probably if you're part of the Presbyterian tradition, we don't talk about this as much. Um, the evil one can feel so disconnected from our ordinary mundane life, right? Most of us aren't thinking about demons to cast out from Monday to Saturday. And yet, if we're going to take the gospel seriously... Just listen for the evidence that you are and I are in this spiritual battle, especially if you're skeptical, right? I mean, think about the noise that you've had in your head the last week, your, your self-talk, uh, the ways that guilt and shame are just a regular part of your own inner dialogue, your own conversation, right? I know we're all, we all have this, this the same insanity. We all talk to ourselves. The, you talk to yourself the most, <laughs> And where do these thoughts come from? And why are they so dominating at times? Right? Or maybe you're, you can feel it this way, that thing you thought you were no longer tempted by, and then all of a sudden the, the bait gets dangled, and, and you find yourself running in a complete opposite direction of what you thought you would ever do when you're in your right mind. Um, I think about how easy it is for relationships to break down. Right? The, the smallest offense can explode and, and churches and families and, well, just watch 2020's evidence, right? We just, we just divide. Um, what about the moral failures that come out of nowhere, especially, um, especially committed by those who are adamant that you should never do such things? Right? You know, Andrew Peterson asks in his song, Right? There, there's all kinds of beauty and goodness in the world, for sure, but do you feel the, that the world is broken? Uh, do you feel the shadows deepen? And the, the answer of the, the scriptures is yes. We have an enemy who is stalking us, who deceives us, that makes just the, the ordinary act of faith to feel like, like you're in the trenches, uh, in a battle. We, Jesus teaches us to pray, look, deliver us from evil. And so, this is where we're at. This is, this is the, the enemy that we face. And I know we still say, well, why should I care? Okay, well, just imagine that, that you're an ambassador. You're sent to another place. You're sent to another country. And you're not told 
as you go to set up an outpost, go set up an embassy, whatever you want to call it, and you have a message to share, and you're not told that it's enemy territory, right? That, that you're going to face hostility. Imagine not being told that you're going to be shot at in order to complete your mission. Right? If you knew that you were going to set up an outpost and it was in hostile territory, <laughs> right? wouldn't that change the way you plan, the way you get out of bed in the morning? So one of the things the Gospels will not let us ignore is that we, as Christians, live in a difficult place. (laughs) Jesus won't let us stick our head in the sand, so to speak. He'll say things later like, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. One, how do you... You were there. (laughs) Like, that's a whole, whole other conversation. Right? Uh, Revelation 12 describes our life as the church as one um, being pursued by a dragon ready to devour those who keep God's commandments and those who guard the testimony of Jesus. That that we're constantly being hounded and haunted. So just by way of introduction, as we we get ready to look at Mark chapter 3, to live the life of faith, following Jesus in this world, is to face the spiritual powers of evil who are hostile, who are oppressive, who are cruel, who are not for your good. And if you're skeptical, uh, I offer you a Hamlet, right? There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And what the scriptures do is allow us to have a much more nuanced view of what is wrong with us and what is wrong with the world. So, let's look at our passage. How does spiritual warfare work? And then the first point, uh, obviously, is that you and I live in a conflict zone. And, and in, in the context of the Gospel of Mark, right, it begins the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, here's what Mark wants us to see. Mark wants us to see who Jesus is. And then he wants us to see who Jesus is, repent, and believe the good news. That's the beginning of, of Mark. All right, so that's gospel. So it's, good, it's always good to remind ourselves what, what it is we have. Kids, do you remember what the word gospel means? I know their whole life just flashed before their eyes. All right? Gospel means good news, and it's good news about a particular person, Jesus Christ. And it's the kind of news that you respond to uh, when something happens that has nothing to do with your work or your actions, right? It's a new ruler is in power, right? You may either celebrate, you may be sad, but either way, right, you have to respond to the news. And the Christian message is that Jesus is now king and he is the, the ruler. And what he, who he is and what he's done, we're called to respond to with repentance and faith. Right? And so the claim of Mark is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the promised king of the Old Testament, the king who would face down evil and darkness and heal the brokenness of the world. He would break the curse and right all wrongs and set up God's kingdom. Right? And so 
Mark wants us to see and wants us to know that, that Jesus Christ is God's king who has come to fight against everything and everyone who harass and oppress his people whom he loves. And he does so as God's son, the son of God, the one with whom God is well pleased. And so I give that little introduction to Mark because when you get to chapter three, right, we're skipping over a whole bunch of stuff because the whole argument here in chapter three is who do you say Jesus is? You have multiple reactions. You have the 12 apostles willing to lay down their lives to, to reorient their very being to follow Jesus. That's the beginning of the chapter. Jesus goes up and names the 12 apostles. His family thinks he's crazy, out of his mind. And then the scribes, right, they believe he's a liar, that he's not representing the living God, that he's actually partnering with Satan. Right? And then, of course, at the end of the chapter, it swings back around to Jesus' family as they seek to, to drag him out. And Jesus says, well, my family are those who keep God's commandments, who obey the, obey the will of God. Right? But if, you, if you're looking at our passage, this is what's helpful. Right? There's a sandwich. You've got Jesus' family in verses 20 that are ready to drag Jesus home. It says they're ready to to seize him, to arrest him. They're going to forcibly tie him up, throw him on a pole, put him in his house, and stop him from bringing them shame. <laughs> right? They're deeply ashamed of, of, of Jesus, because who does he think he is? We grew up with him. Right? And then it transitions, you have this brief story in the middle about spiritual warfare and who Jesus is, and this whole conversation about Satan and then afterwards, Mark continues the story. He's, right, there's a little paragraph there in the middle. He continues the story about Jesus' family. And I think this is what um, we're being shown here. Right? This little sandwich wants us to connect the opposition of Jesus' family and the opposition of the scribes um, to, to, to believe this, that to stop Jesus from his mission however it shows up, is to team up with the evil one. Right? I mean, Jesus' family wants to arrest him. That's the same language used to, to seize Jesus, arrest him, and have him killed later in the gospel. The scribes are accusing Jesus of, they're accusing the Holy Spirit specifically of being an unclean spirit. So when Jesus casts out demons, when he heals, when he speaks the truth. They're saying, that can't be God, that's Satan. Right. And so this is spiritual warfare. And it's all revolved around this one big question, who do you say Jesus is? Right. Which helps make sense. We should take a pause here because you can't read about the unforgivable sin without someone going home saying, oh no, I think that's me. Um, Right? If, the, if the question of spiritual warfare revolves around the person of Jesus, uh, this is what Mark is showing us, that to attribute the work of the Spirit uh, to insanity or satanic power, right? It's blasphemy. And what, what Jesus is saying is the only unforgivable thing that there is in all of creation right, is to reject Jesus. 
to not accept him as Christ, the Son of God. Because right? we, we tend to give way more attention to the unforgivable sin than we do to the good news that's also there where he says, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. Right? All sins. And whatever blasphemies they utter, right? those things you say when you hit your finger with a hammer, <laughs> um, or just the general anger you have that, because life isn't going the way you want it to. Right? Jesus says all sins and blasphemies, things that are offensive to God, will be forgiven. I mean, what are you carrying around right now that you feel is unforgivable? Right? This is the one who says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, the only thing that is unforgivable is to reject the one who gives you the forgiveness of sins. God's king, the Messiah. Right? This is an ordinary spiritual battle. Right? It's a battle in the cosmic drama that is this world. Do you recognize Jesus? Do you know he is the Messiah? Do you, do you see him as the son of God? Do you believe that he is a good king sent from heaven to earth to liberate this world from the power of Satan, sin, guilt, shame, fear, death, who forgives every kind of sin? Right. That, that's, that's our everyday there's no, we're not talking about naming the demon that's, that's haunting Saratoga County. We're not looking for Satan behind every bush, behind every cough or sneeze, right? God bless you. Right. No, this is, do you believe the gospel? Right. I mean, let's just, just look at what's wrong with the world. According to Mark, he's, as he makes his case that this world is under the tyranny of the evil one. That, that he is in charge. That's the argument of the scriptures, that this world, this is the, the domain of darkness, as we heard earlier. Right? You get chapter one. All kinds of people are going out to the Jordan River to confess sins. Right? Feeling guilty is human. <laughs> They're asking God for mercy. Uh, you get to the temptation. Satan tested Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, there's a place of wilderness, a, a place of... of of lack, a place where wild animals are, and it's not safe. Right? We don't get along with the animals. Right? If, if you were to, to go just live by yourself in, in certain parts of the wilderness, you're, you're very much uh, the prey, not the predator. Right? Disease and death stalks us every day. There are social outcasts. He talks about the lepers, those who aren't even welcome in community. They're the lonely. Uh, demons continually pop up in, in Mark. These, these spiritual powers that oppress and harass people, interrupting Jesus when he's telling the truth. Right? They don't want you to hear the truth. Uh, Jesus describes humans as unwell. Right? I, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who are well don't need a physician. I've come for the sick. You'll find the poor go hungry. Right? The feeding of the 5,000. That's a, a big part of that narrative is people are hungry. There's, there's enough to go around in the world, but people still lack. Find out that uh, there are people in the world who take a good thing, like the law, right? Insert Pastor Jim's sermon last week. 
And they take the law and use it as a hammer to oppress people. And so when Jesus is uh, gleaning food from the field, the Pharisees get in his face and say, why would you do such an unlawful thing? When the design is in a moment of need because of who he is, <laughs> you should care about the poor. The Sabbath is for mercy. Right? Children get sick and die. Chapter 5. Uh, the parable of the seeds. Uh, people will hear the truth about God. They'll hear that wonderful news that all manner of sins will be forgiven. Uh, that Jesus loves them. D despite who they are. <laughs> they will hear the word and immediately forget everything. Or they'll maintain for a while. And it'll just be like a flash in a pan. Because the battle to believe the gospel doesn't end. Now, people go through storms and live life terrified. You can be minding your own business and out of nowhere a storm will come. Find yourself frightened even when you have Jesus right next to you. Right. People will love their pigs more than people. <laughs> right. When Jesus casts out the demons, the legion, really they're, they're more in love with their bank account rather than celebrating the fact that a man is in his right mind. See, that's just the first five chapters of Mark. And that's why Paul will say we live in the, under the domain of darkness. This is this present evil age that the evidence that this world goes not well ruled by Satan, the evil one, is just look at the general misery around. Yeah, there's good things. There's good gifts. It's not all, it's not all dark because of God's common grace. But we're haunted by death. And so the question is, in the presence of a real world that it is not well, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God's answer for all your woes, to set you free? And we make it more personal, right? When your world <laughs> goes not well, when you're assaulted by darkness, by doubt, by fear, by guilt, shame, sorrow, sickness, death, do you still believe the gospel is true? I'm not saying you're, you're, you're standing there with a smile, right? The, the, the Psalms give us the freedom to lament. To, to stand there, to stand firm, knowing you are held on to because of who Jesus is. So that's, that's point one. We live in a conflict zone, a war zone. The world goes not well. And the question then is, who is Jesus and how does, how does he help us deal with evil? The evil one in particular. Right? And, and this is where I want to focus in on, on the parable in verse 27. But if you look at this conversation Jesus has with the scribes, they, they're coming down and saying, Jesus, I see all the good things you're doing, but it ain't, it ain't God, it's Satan. It's, it's by the power of... By the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And it's pretty famous, right? How can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided cannot stand, right? If an army just starts shooting at itself, they're obviously going to struggle to win the battle. And that's Jesus' point. But then he goes on and says this strange, these are, these are parables, he says. He says this strange thing, that no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. That statement 
gives, it gives you a whole lens through which to read and, and see and understand the story of Jesus. Right? This is why he came, what he's up to in the world. Right? He is plundering. Right? See, the, the only place in Scripture that describes a strong man doing something like this, right? anyone who, especially the scribes, right, who, have, who know their Scriptures, they would have, remember Isaiah 49. So why don't you turn there with me in your, in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 24. This is one of those where I would ask the ESV to please put a cross-reference to that one, but I don't know why they do, don't. <laughs> um, Isaiah 49, 24, right, where it says, Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be, be rescued? That's the question. And the word for prey, right, like taking a lamb from a lion, can also be translated plunder or spoils of war. Right, in the, the context of Isaiah, this is a comforting chapter. Israel is languishing under the, the tyranny of Babylon. They're in exile. They're, not, they're in a place where they don't want to be. They've suffered a lot of pain and trouble, and they feel like God has left them. And so, in this context, can, can anyone take back the spoils of war well, the only way you do that is to defeat the one who took them in the first place. Right? The only one to take back what a tyrant has is to bind him. And since tyrants aren't prone to negotiating, right? lions don't willingly give up their prey, conflict ensues. And so what verse 25 then says is, here's, here's God's answer. Thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. And so here's what God's promising. I, I the Lord, the divine warrior, am promising to fight against whatever is fighting against you. I'm going to rescue you, Israel. And so here's what Jesus is saying to connect the dots. That's me. I am the Lord, the divine warrior who has come to contend against the evil powers that har harass and oppress you. Right? And do you know the context of this comforting thing that Jesus, that Isaiah is, is saying? The context is Israel, God's beloved, who is saying, the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has forsaken me. That's verse 14. Sound familiar? God, do you even care? Do you see my suffering? Do you see my struggle? I mean, Israel has been broken, battered, beaten down by Babylon. Death, disease, weakness. Right? They know the world is broken. And their accusation to God is, you, you left us. I mean, don't you have those same questions at, at times? <laughs> When life-threatening disease comes, when you live in the shadow of death. Right? And, and notice in verse 14, it's, it's personal. It's not just the Lord as this intellectual, philosophical idea. It's, My Lord has forgotten me. It's personal. 
And so God's response to Israel is, one, can a woman forget a nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Right? It's, it's, it's a, a beautiful picture of right, a good mom. If she doesn't nurse her child, she's going to experience physical pain. And she needs to come back to her infant to relieve that pain. But yet we know in an imperfect world, there are moms who abandon and forget their children. And Yahweh says, I will not do that. I will not, for, I will not forget. I have you, your walls, Israel, engraved on the palms of my hands. The church is continually before God's eyes. I mean, this is God saying, I can't not think of my people. I see your misery. I mean, this is an Old Testament way of God saying, nothing can separate you from my love. He doesn't forget. And then you get, when you get down to verse 24, this is the hope, right? First response, I won't forget you. Second response, I'm going to bless you so much that there's not going to be enough room in your city when you come home. And then when you get down to this promise is, by the way, I'm going to come and get you myself. The Lord is going to contend for those, against those who contend against you. And that's, Jesus takes that picture and says, now, you think that's Babylon, but really we're talking about the spiritual forces of evil. The real tyrant is Satan, what the New Testament calls the prince of this world. Right? Jesus has come to plunder us from his grasp. Now, we're almost done here. Here's what's terrifying. Come back to the scribes and Jesus' family. This is ordinary spiritual warfare. Do they want to be rescued? <laughs> Do they want to be plundered? Right? I mean... They have Jesus right in front of them. They have the signs that the kingdom has come. They have the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in front of them. And they, even Mary, right? his mother, thinks he's out of his mind. The scribes see him as partnering with the evil. And as you read Mark, this is what Mark is really good at doing, is saying there is nobody who gets who Jesus is except for the demons and the Gentiles. <laughs> right? I mean... The disciples are clueless, which means if we're going to believe what Mark says and what Jesus is saying about himself, Jesus has come to plunder people who don't want to be rescued. That's the evil one's influence. That's the evidence that the tyranny goes that, it's that dark, that apart from the grace of God because of the blinding power of the evil one, you would have no desire to change. You would have no desire to trust Jesus. You would have no desire to reorient your life around this person who is good. And so, right, when Jesus says, I've come, <laughs> I've come to plunder, he first has to bind up the evil one in order to come take us. Right? And this is, this is the the lens that you can read the gospel. He is choosing to contend with the evil powers that harass and oppress, that to all who wonder if God cares, who doubt that his goodness, who don't want to be rescued because you can't yet see, right? 
Look at Jesus. That's, that's God's argument. I mean, every single miracle recorded in Mark is designed to show you what life would be like under Jesus' rule. The leper comes to Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it says, Jesus looked at him with compassion and said, I am willing, be clean. Now, what you see over and over again as Jesus moves in, this is an assault of light on the darkness, an invasion to, to, to set us free from tyranny. Right? Everything in the gospel is Jesus binding Satan, which apparently happened in the wilderness, to start the process in order to, to rescue and plunder. And that, that's, that's who we are. That's the good news of the gospel this morning. Do you know that you and I are the spoils of war? The treasure, the reason Jesus comes to set us free. So now, how does, how does this, we'll end with this, how does Satan bound? Because right? if, if Mark chapter 3 is, is telling us that Jesus has bound the strong man so that he may take the goods out of Satan's house. How is he bound? And, and the, the short answer, right, this is, look at the cross. Right, this is what's called the Christus uh, Victor view of the atonement, where you watch Jesus be your conquering champion for you. Um, the one who, when he died, signed up to lose in order to gain the victory, in order to plunder us. Because right? when you look at the cross, by every, every normal angle of looking at the cross, it looks like Jesus lost. Right? He's been put on trial, false witnesses have been brought in, he has been put in front of a kangaroo court, he's been mocked, he's been spat on, he's been beaten beyond human recognition. Right, that's Isaiah. And then he dies. Left alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Embodying Israel's complaint of Isaiah 49. And yet, Jesus gives a whole different perspective on that moment when he's hanging on the cross. Do you know what the cross is? It's his throne. Because when Jesus is on trial and the high priest looks at him, after, you know, after the whole kangaroo court, he says, are you the Christ? Swear by, swear by the, the God of heaven that you are the Christ. And, and Jesus' response to him is, I am. He says the divine name. And he says, you will see the Son of Man seating at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. But he doesn't just say that. He says, from right now, you will see me sitting at the right hand of God. It means as he gets lifted up, exalted, even into the world it looks like he's losing, he's winning. How? Well, one, he's taking the justice we deserve so that we can be forgiven of anything and everything. All sins will be forgiven through his death. He's raised for our justification. You can say things like, well, well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. But my God, he knoweth none. 
Right? So our battle is to believe the gospel of grace, that that moment is true, that Jesus rules even, even in death. Two, right? When he, Jesus is buried, but he was raised on the third day. And one of the main ways we are harassed by the evil one is just through our fear of death, fear of losing. We hate losing. And Jesus, because all those who are in him will have the same future, uh, being raised from the dead, he has transformed death into a nap where you close your eyes and sleep. Where it's no longer this, it's an enemy, but it's no longer this tyrannical thing that you can never escape because we know it's just a doorway to a tearless future. The devil, he's defeated. I mean, the way the New Testament talks about Jesus' work on the cross as he has forgiven our sins, set us free from the sting of death, right? He's bound. I mean, one of the, the ways to think about this, it says in Colossians that he put them to open shame, that he had a victory parade after the resurrection, and so that he could announce to all of the spiritual power is that you have no power here anymore. This is mine. And so one of the ways to, to understand this is the gospel, right? You and I have been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. And so now Jesus is Lord. And now we get to wrestle to believe that. I mean, Martin Luther tells it really well. He says, I was condemned to death and entangled in sin and blindness. The devil came and led us into disobedience, sin, death, and all misfortune. As a result, we lay under God's wrath and displeasure, sentenced to eternal damnation as we had merited it and deserved it. There were no resources, no help, no comfort for us until this only and eternal Son of God, in his unfathomable goodness, had mercy on us because of our misery and distress. And he came from heaven to help us. Those tyrants and jailers have now been routed and their place has been taken by Jesus Christ, the Lord of life and of every good thing and every blessing. He has snatched us, poor lost creatures, won us and made us free and restored us to the Father's favor and grace. As his own possession, he has taken us under his protection and shelter that he might rule us by his righteousness, wisdom, power, life, and blessedness. <laughs> a lot but you hear what he's saying we're rescued we're plundered so to make spiritual warfare ordinary right it's not flashy but it is a battle according to mark it's the ordinary struggle to to see jesus as he really is the exalted king your lord your loving lord and to believe that when you're assailed by shame suffering and pain. And so who do you say Jesus is? Liar, lunatic, or loving Lord? Right. Do you really believe that all sins are forgiven in Christ? I mean, that's, that's the main command for us in the Gospel of Mark that frames everything. Repent and believe the good news. We've been plundered. The strong man is bound. And now we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior who loves us more than we can imagine. We get to go out and fight a battle that has already been won at the cross. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this perspective um, of the gospel that tells us that not only were we in danger, but we are rescued. And so I pray for those places where we live uh, that we struggle to believe the gospel, Lord, that your spirit would be at work, breaking through the noise in our head, that we would believe the good news that Jesus is our king, that he loves us and has promised to never leave nor forsake us, that he had holes put in his hands so that he cannot look at his hands without thinking of us, his church, his bride. So may we leave here rejoicing that we are, we are beloved and that we are rescued and give us the grace we need to fight the battles for this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.